Captain Kirk. Fascinating. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Thank you, thank you. Love you. Most illogical. I saw it. Well, that was different. Yep, rousy, but different. Places, please. And here we go. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, bears, neurals, and things to episode 48 of the Muppet Trek podcast. I'm Jarman. And I'm Steve. (laughs) (laughs) We're here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. Jarman, what are they? Those are The Muppet Trek and Star Trek. And we do one-to-one reviews of The Muppet Show and Star Trek, the original (laughs) series. And this week we'll be doing the Muppet Show. God, I can't. <laughs> this is all staying in. This is all staying in. I don't know if we can leave in a Bill Cosby impression. Oh, it's staying. It's staying. He tries yeah, to say no Pachula st- Clark is Pachula. the guest. Pachula. Pachula. Uh, in the original series episode, A Private Little War. A Private Little War. Just in case Bill Cosby wasn't clear enough for you. <laughs> Folks, it's been a night. So it's been it, a night. It's also been, it's going to be an important show because it's also the end of season two of The Muppet Trek. And we'll be talking, or Muppet Show, rather. We'll be talking about that later tonight. Uh, but uh, we have some feedback. Oh, um, for once. Uh, yeah. for uh, We were mentioned by a... Uh, oh, that's right. By the Muppet Wiki on Twitter. And I know that each wiki that you find for each fandom is different, and it's not necessarily anything official by the actual um, properties themselves. But the Muppet Wiki, the one that has the Muppet Wiki on Twitter, they tweeted a picture of all the recently new uh, Muppet podcasts that are available on all your podcasts. Uh, catcher things you can find and we not only were mentioned on that tweet but we are the first picture the top billing the top billing on that picture so follow muppet wiki on twitter if you're on twitter and you'll see that we were tweeted recently and i have to admit there was some satisfaction to seeing all the other podcasts that were not mentioned by muppet wiki who were like responding saying what about us what about us and like uh-huh. ah, too bad guys too bad muppet well, also you you and I inadvertently, without knowing it, we got like ahead of the game. Oh, yeah. Doing this, not knowing that Muppets were going to be coming to Disney and there was going to be this whole reemergence of Muppet show interest. That's the thing. We were, we were kind of hipsters to the uh, Muppet interest. We were ahead of the craze. And so because of that, I think yeah. we're at sort of the head of the list. And that's fair. I think it is totally fair because, yeah, we weren't just jumping the bandwagon. We were there beforehand. So we're doing this crap because we have nothing better to do. <laughs> <laughs> I love Muppets and you love Star Trek. Yeah. Before any of this uh, Disney Plus crap happened. So, uh, Steve, I think you need to tell us about our guest tonight, uh, Pachula Clark. Well, Pachula Clark, man, what can't you say about Pachula Clark? You could can't say a lot. She was a British musician. <laughs> Who starred on BBC Radio as a child performer, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, She had a ton of international recordings in German, Italian, and Spanish. And she even had a string of really successful singles in the U.S., the most notable, which is Downtown. 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 I had to, Steve. She was deemed, at one point, the first lady of the British Invasion. 
Ah, okay. Okay. Uh, and she still does performances in the UK, like as recently as last year. Wow. Great. What does our audience know her from? While you may not recognize her, I can guarantee you've heard some of her music somewhere, which has been used in soundtracks and shows and movies such as uh, The Queen's Gambit, American Dad, and The X-Files. Wow. And Downtown was very notably used in Lost and is Uh, what I will always associate Downtown with. Wow, I don't remember that. I love Lost, but I don't remember that. Uh, It's a great opening of, I think, season two or three, the one where they find the hatch. And you hear the song and it's a guy in like a fallout bunker getting ready for his day. Ah, and it turns out it's Desmond on the island. Oh, listening to downtown. So good. Great reveal. Amazing reveal for season three. So that's Petrula Clark. But what the hell is she doing this week on the Muppet show? Yeah. Backstage this week. There's a moose named Mickey moose (laughs) who sounds like John Wayne. (laughs) And this devolves into a bunch of Mickey mouse jokes with club hats and Ronald Duck showing up. It's really thin. It's really, really thin this week. <laughs> uh, on stage, though, Kermit introduces a seafaring Muppet singing a sea shanty. It's a lively number with some people, you know, like Link and nephew Robin. Mm-hmm. Petrula comes out and sings uh, the boy from Ipanema with a pink, large, lanky monster. It's real nice. Next up, we get a chicken saloon sketch where a bad rooster comes into town. And challenges the local law, and they have a duel, and it is brilliant. Uh, following this, we get at the dance. This week's jokes are mo- mostly centered around disproportionate body parts. Hmm. Afterward, we get Oop ID uh, from the Swiss Alps, supposedly a silly song with nonsensical lyrics, and it's great. Up next, Petrula joins Rolf and performs a lovely song, Too Shy to Say. Um, it, it's a beautiful piano number and just really well performed. We then take a trip to the veterinarian's hospital where a sick patient is slowly slipping <laughs> into the table where he slowly falls into the table and then the nurses and the doctor fall in as well. <laughs> it's cute. It is. In Sweet Chef's Kitchen, the, he's making chocolate mousse where he tries to sh- sh- smear chocolate on the mousse and the mousse is not having it. <laughs> Petula's final number is ruined by the mousse who breaks all the glass on stage and eats all the flowers and she assures Kermit it's going to be all right. And then they sing Tomorrow, where she's joined by various Muppets. Kermit thanks Petrula one last time. The moose likes her, too. And that's what we call the Muppet Show. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of this week's episode? I really enjoyed this one. I think. Really? I did. I think um, it just flowed really well. I think even though the, the only down, uh, the only negative I would say is that. Um, Pachula wasn't um, stretched beyond her uh, obvious strengths, her singing yeah, a song. There was even even times where like the camera work wasn't doing anything, which usually I'm so surprised as a film major. I'm surprised on The Muppet Show. They do a lot of great camera work. And during a couple for numbers, they, you know, obviously showed off her singing, which is wonderful, but they did nothing. She was just it was just a silent camera, like sitting there doing nothing. So I was like very surprised at that, but otherwise it played to her strengths. It did a lot of our favorite um, things about veterinary's hospital, you know, and all the other segments that we, we like at the dance was in there at the nice. dance was in there. Exactly. Um, and I love the Ralph uh, Petula song. I loved the, uh, the, the chicken uh, 
the, the chicken bar scene. Chicken high noon or whatever. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Where, where Gonzo is the random bartender where everyone else is chickens. It was and there was no words. Kind of reinforcing that he's some kind of bird, maybe. Yeah. And all oh, that's true. And also my, my girlfriend watching was just like she loved that the fact that there was um, just chickens and nothing was spoken. No dialogue. No dialogue, yeah. but you knew exactly what was going on. And it was wonderful. Oh, yeah. And the chicken walking in with a cigarette in its mouth, I just laugh hysterically. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, this had a great flow. I thought this episode, I loved Mickey Moose was a funny backstory for this, like this backstage thing that was going on. Um, and then what, what was the duck called? It was uh, Ronald, uh, Ronald Duck. Ronald Duck. <laughs> and I just, I loved that whole thing. It was just, it, this whole episode was very high for me. Uh, it almost wow. made my end of the episode thing, but not quite. Uh, because it's, wow, because our thing is about the hosts, really. And it wasn't that the host blew this out of the water. It was just that this episode was very solid for me. It was a very entertaining, solid Man. episode for me. See, I'm at the opposite end. I would oh, wow. almost put this in my bottom three. Wow. Like it's almost there. I feel like they didn't stretch for true. I feel like all the things you highlighted were sort of my big issues. Mm. It, it was an issue for me. They, they, didn't, they didn't highlight her. her. Agreed. They didn't highlight her well. She came in and did her shtick. Mm-hmm. Like she did three songs, which is great, but she's not Elton John. They weren't her songs. They weren't giant hits. Too sh- right. uh, too too shy to say, or too. Uh, I get that right. Uh, <laughs> uh, whatever she did with Rolf. Too shy to say. Yeah. Yes, too shy to say. It was like it was a contemporary hit at this time. It was a few years old, and Stevie Wonder had made a big hit out of it on his fourth mm-hmm. album, um, or one of his albums. God. Um, but none of it was hers. But none of it was hers. So there was no ownership and there was no like, oh, Elton John's performing his song. Like there was none of that. It was just like, oh, another singer. Yeah. Um, the at the dance I felt was forgettable. Like the best joke was that balloon nose blowing up. I I laughed. I liked it. So like here, the, here's the thing. Is that I, I'm the person who's always was unimpressed by Muppets before we took this venture into doing this. And now I'm falling in love with Muppets and their humor. And this episode felt solid in all those Muppet Muppety ways, I guess. I don't know, but I don't know, man. Yeah, man. Huh? Uh, Interesting. This is the first, this is the first for us guys. We've had one or two before this where you've really liked and I've hated, but I guess, but not this far in, in uh, opposition. I don't know. I feel like this is almost Florence Hendersy. Like Florence Henderson also Whoa. just stood in front of a camera. No, Florence Henderson was just not. She has no charisma. She is terrible. Whereas Petula Clark, I never heard of her before my entire life. And I knew the song Downtown, but I didn't know it was by her. But she was dancing. She was singing. She was entertaining. She was fun. Florence Henderson, who I knew to be entertaining and interesting, was boring as fuck. So do you her- think maybe that's what? poisoned us again maybe that's why we like these <laughs> less known hosts more is that we go in with no taste in our mouth that is, is true that yes finding? yes because florence henderson i've known to be very entertaining and she was terrible on muppets whereas patula clark i have no expectations for and was pretty entertaining <laughs> see i think the other issue is that and maybe it's hard to judge season one because season one is so different from season two yeah, there's more money in season two for sure. And gimmicky season one was and those short little cuts and those quick like two-liner jokes backstage. Mm. Uh, and the talking houses and the um, Oh, the talking houses. The talk panel so show they the would talking. do every I like season, the talk panel episode. show. I will there say there were some that were okay. Yeah, I'm upset that the talk panel show is not around anymore, actually. Some of the guests really lended themselves to it. I remember Pete Ustinoff's was really good. Uh, Rena Moran's was really good. Um, yeah. 
I, yeah, I, I, think- I don't know. So it's just funny that that it's almost at the top for you and it's almost at the bottom for me for kind of the same reason. That's weird. But it didn't <laughs> quite get to my top because it was just the host was uh, uh, OK, but she wasn't. Uh, and it didn't quite get to the bottom because it wasn't Florence Henderson. Right. Exactly. Because <laughs> <laughs> how can you beat that? But we'll talk about that later because you That's might. Right. You might. Music this week, The Sea Shanty, written by Abe Burroughs, writer of musicals like Guys and Dolls and How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. Oh, my gosh. Our history, brother. That's right. (laughs) The Boy from Ipanema, or more commonly, The Girl from Ipanema, uh, a Brazilian bossa nova song from the 60s. The English lyrics were penned uh, sometime later by a guy named Norman Gimbel, who was known for taking French and and Portuguese songs and putting in the English. However, he also wrote the lyrics for Killing Me Softly with his song. Wow. That's right. Same guy. Didn't know that. Girl from Ipanema. Wow. Uh, The Mickey Mouse Club, the Mickey Mouse March. I almost got that wrong. Written by Jimmy Dodd. He was actually the master of ceremonies on the show and wrote most of his own songs Hmm. that he performed on uh, the Mickey Mouse Club. Oop ID. This is maybe the hardest I've ever found to to digging out info about one of these songs. Hmm. Uh, It's a Civil War song which from what I can gather is mostly about the company hating the company bugler. <laughs> so no matter what's going on, they hear that trumpet and that's the oop I D oop I da da uh, oop I da lyric is them huh. hearing the bugler. Weird. Too shy to say written by Stevie wonder and released just a few years before this, as I mentioned in 1974 fun, Stevie wonder fact, he has won 25 Grammys. Jesus. And and he's only tied for 10th place for most Grammys ever won. 10th place? With three other people. You two, Kanye West, and some uh, country music guy named Vince Gill. Well, I know Vince Gill, but still Kanye West, Jesus Christ. Right. Doesn't know. <laughs> if it makes you feel any better, the people that have like the absolute most are people you have never heard of. Really? The guy who has the most at 31 is like a con- an orchestra conductor. Oh, that makes sense. And so he's won like (laughs) opera recording, orchestral recording, orchestral arrangement, orchestral, like (laughs) all the Grammys. He's won 31 (laughs) of those, by the way. That makes sense. Uh, Tomorrow from Annie, which was only a few years old at this point. Hmm. Uh, The song was originally written for a short film called Replay. Oh, and was reworked by its composer, Charles Strauss, when he started working on Annie. So tomorrow is not from Annie. Fascinating. <laughs> from I did, a I, short film. I never knew that. From 1970. Um, German, what did you think was the best moment cheering moment this week? I think I know. Well, no, there were a couple couple um, contenders because one was the, the one in the boat was a close second place. Okay. Um, because that was just fascinating in the way they did that and the singing at the end. But uh, no, the boy from Ipanina was my my favorite Muppet really? moment. Really? The big the big Muppet was what did it for you? Oh, it was just so wonderfully done. And the way it interacted with her and, and eventually gave her the flower at the end and just the and it went from a regular face to a smile at the end. And like they just coordinated all of that at, at, so well. I thought that was fantastically done. So the, the, the boy from Ipanema was my favorite. I liked how nonchalant she was. Been. She's like, I'm going to wake up in this lawn chair and stretch and then walk into blackness. <laughs> of course. Like you do. Like you do. It's so funny to just watch her like, I've got to fill six seconds of time here. All right. Let's get the number stuff. <laughs> do, do, do. <laughs> what about uh, I'm you? Gonna give it, I've got to give it to the chicken high noon. 
Oh yes. So much to be communicated with no dialogue is in itself impressive. Um, And for it to be done so well and choreographed so well and a lot of puppets involved, it was just an all around winner. Oh, my, my girlfriend's getting to know our show a lot better in the format. And she was like, favorite returning moment, the chicken segment. Absolutely. She said the same thing. She was, she agreed with you. (laughs) I mean, the fact that I put it on and we were watching it over dinner a few days ago. And at the moment that the black rooster came in, Joyce Lipton went, that's the bad guy. Ah, yes. Without me having to say anything or anything. She just knew the archetype and knew that that was the bad guy. A chicken with no dialogue. And I will say, future fast forward to the episodes we'll watch later. But that's exactly what happens in the episode of Star Trek, where they have a blonde wig for the good guys, a dark wig for the bad guys. And that's what happens in this chicken segment. It, and it, it, it happens in this in this episode we watch too. Yeah, exactly. But it's that's just amazing. But we're just getting ahead amazing. of ourselves. We're getting we ahead of ourselves. <laughs> uh, so this concludes. Patrulla Clark concludes season two of the Muppet Show. We've made it through two complete seasons of the Muppet Show, Jarman. We have. That? that is nuts, and I'm so happy about it. I've never seen this show before. This is new to me. Uh, as Star Trek is mostly new to Steve. And so this is great. This, I'm done with season two of The Muppet Show. I'm so That's excited. Right. I'm we're so excited. We're getting into like the much bigger budget season. So we're going to see some much more opulent sets and numbers. We're getting to a very exciting time in Muppet Show. Absolutely. Um, but when we went, when we finished reviewing season one, we went through and we said, what were our top three episodes from this season? And what were our bottom three episodes from this season? So we're going to take that, extend it a little bit further. We're going to do top three and bottom three from this season. And then we're going to decide if any of them knock out from our previous top three and previous bottom three. Mm -hmm. So we'll find out what our cumulative top three and bottom three are. (laughs) So let's talk. Let's talk about let's start with the worst episodes this season. The worst this season. All right. The absolute worst this season. I'll go first. I I don't think this is going to be a controversial Bob Hope. All right. Yes, that is one of mine as well. So Bob, not enough Bob Hope, lackluster numbers, very limited laughs and interactions. Mm. And for having such a great guest, it felt like such a throwaway. Either he was too old. Someone was afraid to write for him. He wouldn't accept writing for other from writers. Something happened. Something happened where it was just not funny. It wasn't entertaining. It was bad. It was just it fell flat. It was bad. Yes. Complete. Agreed. Yes. So bottom of the season, Bob Hope. I'm sorry, Bob. No, we're both there. It's yeah. Sorry. The cowboy sketch did you in. <laughs> I mean, that would probably be his best thing on the episode, but it's it still. But it was also the only number he was in. So yeah, it's hard to tell. Uh, nothing else. It didn't work. <laughs> no, it was bad. Okay. Okay. Bob Hope. We're sorry. Okay. You're an American legend, but you were terrible. In this season. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very true. Uh, what, what's one of yours? Uh, my other one is uh, I had to look through. I went through every single host and I was I had to look back at my notes for each one and see like, oh, what did I say about them? But no, Rich Little was terrible. Rich Little is also on my bottom three. Okay. Season. All right. Good. Uh, the episode itself wasn't that bad. No, the episode and, wasn't bad because the backstage plot was like Gonzo auditioning chickens, dancing chickens. I kind of think gold. I think I think we're going gold. we're going hosts here. I think we're kind of going hosts here by accident or by purpose. I don't know, but we're doing that. But I think the host makes the episode. Yeah, so I, you know, at the end of the day, you can have a great episode and a shit host. And it's a shit episode. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So while there were some really bright moments, 
Ritual's impressions don't connect with our generation. Nope. So there was also that barrier. I'm willing to admit it. But even his impersonation of the Muppets was really, really poor. But beyond that, I think Steve and I, I will say this authentically, we are are genuinely in touch with what impressions he was doing of those people. We had a pretty good idea from that generation because we're kind of older souls and we know those people he was talking about. He's not very good at them either. He wasn't good at the impressions he was doing in general. So, like, I don't understand how this person got famous. <laughs> I just don't get it. It was bad. It was bad. Maybe he was just like an original. Maybe not many people did impressions. So even he, like, who could kind of do an impression. That's a good point. Maybe maybe that was the point. Maybe he was just the first guy to, like, do that kind of comedy consistently. You're yeah, right. Yeah. Or yeah. you get known for one. Like, for, for all we know, it was like one part of his routine. Yeah. And suddenly that's what he's known for. And now he's impressionist. Rich Little. Maybe Rich Little started the impressionist comedy stand-up routines. You're right. Maybe. If that's the case, then then more power to him. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'd appreciate him more if that was the case. Yeah. Overall, a droll episode. Ugh, forgettable. Terrible. Not one that we recommend watching. <laughs> <This is> bad. <laughs> uh, all right. My third one for my bottom three this season, uh-huh. uh, and people might get real mad, and it kind of falls into the same category as Bob Hope. I've got George Burns. Okay. That wasn't mine, so explain. Yeah, that's great. He couldn't. He was a ho. He was so old. He couldn't do anything, and it really showed. They yeah. had no choice but to just have him do his shtick and nothing else. Mm. And that sucks. That's not what the Muppets is about. The Muppets is about being Muppety and getting guests to do crazy, fun things. Not like another stage for George Burns to go smoke on and tell and slow tell jokes. jokes he's been telling for the last 45 years. And still tells them until... 1999 when he's 100 years old <laughs> right um so yeah for that reason george burns was just a very limited guest and it showed it just showed oh my gosh because he was very close to make my my bottom three. Ooh. okay so who's your last he one was in the bottom but three? You're, it was a good point though he was very close because like it, it just wasn't entertaining but since i did ventriloquism in my in my youth and I, Edgar looked, Bergen. I looked up to Edgar Bergen in my youth. I had an Edgar Bergen uh, ventriloquist dummy in my youth. Um, Mortimer Snurd. Edgar Bergen was a disappointment to me because he was a very bad ventriloquist. Um, it was not. Maybe he was better at some point in his youth. Maybe, like maybe he was. I'm, he was I'm, a ventriloquist on the radio for years. No one <laughs> on the radio. Uh, <laughs> he's basically a voice actor at that point yeah he's a voice actor uh, i'm hoping he was a great voice actor but he was a terrible ventriloquist and he was the person i modeled myself after at when i was a young person to be a voice a ventriloquist and he was terrible he was awful and so i hope he was better when he was younger the jokes weren't funny nothing was good about that episode so he was my bottom worst for uh that he was uh, disappointed to me personally. He was a disappointment to me. So looking at it now, and I remember saying this, I think when we reviewed it, it's such a shame that one of the best Muppet show musical numbers of any season is in this piece of dump episode. <laughs> Which one <laughs> was it? Time in a bottle where the old guy, he, he's like, he's a scientist. He's mixing things, singing time oh. in a bottle. And then he drinks them and gets older and older and older. I look back at my notes for Edgar Bergen, and that was in my notes how great that was. And that it was, it was great. 
It was. <laughs> to, but to put it in the middle of such a bum episode. Oh, yeah. Because that was that was a fantastic number. I wish that could be transplanted somewhere else because Edgar Birkin just bowled the shit out of that. <laughs> so I think it's funny that three of our cumulative bottom four are basically these guys who are too old to do anything. Yeah. Well, I, Rich Little was like 45. He was fine. He was just said three out of the four. Rich oh, Little was oh, a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're right. Three, three <laughs> of the four of them. It's just they were past their prime, I guess, and they didn't care. They didn't want to be there so that they made terrible episodes. You're right. It's that they were just like, I don't want to be here. This is bad. Just one more <laughs> stage for George Burns to smoke. And <laughs> yes, exactly. All right, guys. If you haven't left yet, if you're, if you're still listening, <laughs> here are our best. Here's the okay. best. Here's the best. All right. Yeah. Steve, go for it. Go for it. Uh, first, recent, Zero Mostel. Mm. Great host. Word agreement. Word agreement. It's one of my top three. He almost becomes one at points. He talks about joining the monsters at the end. That great um, poem about his fears. Yeah. Just such a great. So wonderful. Iconic sketch. I fell in love with that. All around great episode. And, and the, no one's ever like, I want to become one of the Muppets. Like he embraced that to no end. And it was just oh. beautiful. It was wonderful. So that's, oh, yeah. it's also one of my best. Yes. Okay. So you got it in the top three. Yep. I thought that was the one I was like, I'm pretty oh, sure yeah. we're going to agree on. It's in my top three. Yeah. Uh, what's your next one? My next one is actually Bernadette Peters. Okay. Okay. I a thought she choice. just I thought she perfectly fit in with the Muppets. She she was uh, at the musical presence. There was wonderful. And, and season two, it just it's she was I, I looked through every single episode and like one by one by one. And I was like, oh, she just I felt so so much happiness her being in that episode. And she was it was just a, a, a she fit. She fit. Basically. Um, what do you think about before you really read it or next? What do you think about Bernadette Peters in that episode? I was good. Um, the I'm looking at the episode now, and she just got such a good voice. And I think that maybe that was I think if I remember correctly, that was like our one critique was that she was just such a better singer than the Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, because she has that clear tone that can like cut through oh, anything. Anything. She's anything she's a Broadway aficionado. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think our one complaint was that she was so much better. <laughs> she made him look than bad. Muppets, that she made him look bad, um, which is a good problem to have. I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I think she was one of those guests that I remember saying, like she like was felt comfortable with the Muppets, and she was there with them, and she was one of them, and they were singing with her. But she, it's good that she was the best because like she's the guest star, and so like she's the best, and so like I felt that like that episode just really stood out for me because. She stood out in that episode and didn't feel uncomfortable. Finally, a, a legend like Bernadette Peters was not a disappointment. Putting <laughs> on the, the role of a legend. Yeah, she was. She right. fulfilled her role on the Muppets as a legend, and it they they. But she also was cool with them. That was why it made, she made me one of the best. Yeah. Uh, similar impressive female singers. I've got Cloris Leachman on there. Nice. Not was, only did we get to yeah. hear her sing a ton, like in crazy range. Um, this was the episode that featured the awesome backstage pig takeover plot. <laughs> yes. That is, is not even arguably, it just is the best backstage plot we've seen. And you add that to a good host and it just turns into a great episode. That is very fair argument. I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. That's. Oh, yeah. Cloris Leachman. Because Cloris Leachman is also awesome. And yes, and that backstage plot is more than what we've seen a lot of episodes. So that makes a lot of sense. 
Um, my last one is uh, Rudolf Nureyev. Okay, you really did like that one. I did like it, not because of Rudolf Nureyev being a strong performer or actor. Um, no, he's a, he's that's a, certainly not accusatory. In that no, episode. he's a great dancer, but he's also very passionate. You could tell he loved the fucking Muppets. And so I really it showed in every performance he was there for. And also it showed because we know the backstory. I, I was influenced by the backstory. I was. I have to admit mm. that that th- once he was on that show, they were able to have more guests come on the show because he was so notoriable. That's not a word. Is that a word? He was, maybe he was a <laughs> gateway guest. He was a gateway guest. So it, it just it felt that way and that everyone was so passionate about him being there. And but he was also passionate about being there himself that it, it was just like a, a, a very passion fueled episode for me. And so I, I really like that episode. It stood oh, out. Yeah, it stood he, out for me. He was pretty bad in his musical numbers, but he you could he never stopped trying. He wanted the hell out of being <laughs> you could there. See him struggle. <laughs> yeah. Struggle through those He's, numbers, but he was gonna struggle. And he loved every minute of it. You could tell yeah. it. He was like, Maybe it's wanted- cold outside of Miss Piggy. And, oh yeah. It was weird, um, but it still you felt like he wanted to be there. Yeah. yeah. So that was my top three. Yeah. And he got to tap dance. That was super that was exciting. Yeah, he was good at it. Um, I've <laughs> got to put in my, as my third slot, um, Elton John. Oh. It is just hard to argue. Yeah against the musicality of that episode if nothing else the musicality is enough to sell it i think well and them being in and the muppets being incorporated into his musicality yes absolutely oh yeah and they were in every number even though it was him performing it wasn't just him on stage performing. it was alone. muppets performing that with him yeah right crocodile rock with crocodiles <laughs> yes <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly um that's very so for true that reason alone i just don't think there's any other episode we've had yet that can even remotely touch the musicality of the Elton John episode musicality. I agree with you entirely. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So now Jarman, let's start with bottom three. Uh Uh-huh. Do any of these new bottom episodes change your bottom three? Yes. And my notes, I wrote all of my worst replace my last list. Really? These are worse than all of my bottom list because they are all bigger disappointments so there was your worst were all worse than florence henderson yes because these worst hold on i like doing impressions (laughs) i'm a voice actor so i i like doing impressions i've liked it since i was like 10 years old i recorded impressions on saturday night live so i could redo them on on a vhs cassette tape and rich little yesterday rich little did such a bad job that it pisses me off. Edgar Bergen, I did. I fucking did had his dummy and I was doing ventriloquist acts and he did a terrible job on the Muppet show. Bob Hope. So, so it's more about personal betrayal. Yes, it's personal betrayal and vendettas. That's what it's all about. That's why we do this show. <laughs> vendettas and revenge. Dead comics. Dead comics. I bet Rich Little is still alive. I bet he is still he is, alive. He is he is alive and Canadian as shit. <laughs> yes. Canadian as shit. <laughs> Fuck you, Rich Little. You didn't try hard enough. Uh Bob Hope. Um horrible. Not because I've bad. ever I've never wanted to be a stand-up comic. I'd never wanted that, never desired that. But I can recognize when you are successful 
and you don't give a shit anymore. And that's where he was. And he gave no shits. So all three, this is not the same for my best, but all three of my worst replace the worst of my first season. Wow. That's impressive. Okay. That's really impressive. Because my worst for first season were Florence Henderson, Lena Horne, and Harvey Corman. And Harvey Corman was a disappointment, but it wasn't necessarily his fault because, you know, whatever. Writers, uh, week it was, whatever. But the rich little Edgar Bergman, Bob Hope, it was their fault. So wow. fuck, the, fuck so them. So they take them. Fuck wow. them. Wow. Fuck That's them. amazing. Yeah. Uh, I, I had two <laughs> out of three sink in okay. to the bottom three. Florence Henderson holds her spot for me. It was uh, so bad. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, but Bob Hope easily knocks out Mum and Shots. Yes. Because at least Mum and Shots was doing something original. Yes. Fair. And not telling the same jokes I've been telling for 50 years. <laughs> totally fair. Um, and then Rich Little <laughs> knocks out Ben Vereen. Because my big issue with the Ben uh, Vereen episode is it was a lot of missed potential. But Rich Little's episode was just flat out bad. There. Oh my god, I totally approve of this. This is yeah, totally. So my my issues with Ben Vereen seem very minor now compared yeah. to my issues with Rich Little. Exactly. <laughs> like Ben Vereen, like you just had bad writing, but whereas like Rich Little, you had the writing, you just suck. <laughs> um. All right. So now let's talk top three season. The top three episodes between season one and two. Oh yeah. So uh, top three. My best list. Um. I so I had Ethel Merman, which I'm going to replace. Ooh. I'm going to replace with uh, Zero Mostel. Okay, I could definitely see that. So now it's uh, Peter Usanoff, Zero Mostel, and Bruce Forsyth. Bruce, oh, you Bruce, got Bruce up there. Yes, Bruce Forsyth as the best Muppet Show host thus far. So okay, on, the only person who was replaced was uh, Ethel Merman. I thought yours was Lena Horn. Am I crazy? Wait, what? I, I didn't see the top of my people. Hold on. Oh, no, no, you got it. You got it. Ethel Merman. I was thinking of your lowest. My bad. But what are my highest? My, my highest, highest were Pete, Ethel, and Bruce. Yes. Peter Usanoff, Ethel Merman, and Bruce Forsyth were my best. Okay. Um, and, and for this list uh, currently was Bernadette Peters, Rudolph Nureyev, and Zero Mustel, but only one of them moved up to the best. And knocked off Ethel Merman, <laughs> which was zero Mistel. That's fair. Yeah. I, I, yes, I absolutely get that. What about you? Uh, my new top three. Peter Usnoff holds his spot. He he became a Muppet. Mm-hmm. Great host. Yep. Uh, zero Mostel knocks out Kay Ballard. Uh, okay. All right. Zero Mostel also really became a Muppet. And while I loved Kay Ballard's performances and interaction, it doesn't beat what Zero did. It just can't. Mm, yeah. And then I knocked out Paul Williams. Because his episode was in there mostly because of the musicality. And I was like, well, the Elton John episode eclipses that. So Elton John has moved into the place of Paul Williams episode in my top three. Totally fair. Because so Pete Usanoff, Zero Mostel, Elton John. That Paul Williams episode was very good. So yeah. I get I get that. Cool. All right. Well, that's that's our opinion. That's the end of season two. We'll do that at the end of every season. And we have a similar Star Trek recap coming up in just a few episodes. Yeah, we're getting to the end of season two of Star Trek. Season two of original series of Star Trek will be going up soon. So stay tuned, folks. That'll happen. All right. Well, talking of Star Trek and away from the Muppets and terrible, terrible Rich Little. <laughs> Trevor, what happened on this week's episode of Star Trek, the original series? So for tonight's episode, we have a private little war. 
And this is where Kirk, Spock, and Bones are going down to the planet called Neural, where Kirk visited several years ago, uh, where he was uh, studying the locals there and found them to be very peaceful and called it a uh, basically an Eden. Uh, he even befriended one of their leaders there called Tyree. Uh, while they were studying the planet, uh, Kirk and Spock discovered that a group of the hill people that Kirk befriended previously when he was there, including Tyree, are about to be ambushed by another group of villagers that are armed with rifles. So before, they only had uh, bows and arrows and spears, so Kirk's very confused by this. So Kirk wants to warn them or protect them with his phaser, but Spock tells them that this would be against Starfleet orders. So Kirk throws a rock instead, which distracts the villagers and alerts the hill people to the ambush. Uh, Kirk and Spock run from the villagers and are then transported safely back to the Enterprise with bones. But before they can be transported back, Spock is shot with a musket blast and he is gravely wounded. And mm -hmm. we're like, oh, my God, is Spock going to die? So once back on the Enterprise, they detect an, a Klingon ship is nearby. So Kirk suspects that the Klingons are the ones who contaminated the planet's culture and gave one side of them firearms, the villagers instead of the hill people. So Kirk and Bones get into native costumes and beam back down to the planet and investigate. They are immediately attacked by the Mugatu which is a very popular original series character, which is basically a ape suit with some a white ape suit with some <laughs> horns on it, with some horns on it and a tail. Um, but it's a very famous, bad looking character from the original series. But it's it's lovable. It's lovable. It's a native monster to the planet. Uh, Kirk is bitten by the Mugatu in the fight and it poisons him, uh, to which he tells Bones only Tyree and his people can heal him from this poison. And if on cue, Tyree's people show up and Bones tells them, help Kirk, save him. So Tyree's wife is a witch and she is able to heal Kirk of his poisoned state. But in return, he is forever indebted to her. But she only heals Kirk in the first place if Tyree tells her all about where Kirk and his friends came from. So Tyree tells her all about where they came from space and they have these advanced technology, that kind of thing. Therefore, Nona, which is her name, Tyree's wife, witch, knows that Kirk and his friends would have the tools to help the hill people defeat the villagers. So when Kirk fully recovers from healing, he asks Tyree about the villagers' weapons, these rifles they seem to have. And Tyree says that he first saw them a year ago and thought the villagers were making them on their own. Hmm. But that couldn't be possible. So Kirk, Bones, and Tyree try to sneak into the village to investigate these crazy weapons. They find that the Klingons were indeed helping the, Kling the villagers build these weapons. And they even catch a Klingon admitting it in front of them. So Bones and Kirk try to escape. They attack the Klingon and the villager, run outside, subdue two other guards... And get the hell out of there with Tyree, who is waiting outside. Uh, Kirk takes the hill people, one of the rifles, and he tries to teach them how to use it. He then gets into a philosophical argument with Bones about how the, the neural people uh, must be at least fighting on a balanced fight between the villagers and the hill people. And how they should uh, provide the hill people with the same weapons as the village people. And Bones disagrees. 
because it's it's a complicated argument. Then Kirk is seduced by Tyree's witch wife, Nona, and <laughs> that's basically what she is. It's absolutely right. <laughs> and uh, and uh, he sees it happening, and he's about to. Sh- oh, Tyree sees that that his wife is seducing Kirk, and Tyree's about to shoot Kirk. But instead, he drops the weapon and runs away because Tyree's a good guy. He doesn't want violence. He doesn't want evil and fighting. But then the Mugatu, another Mugatu, possibly the wife of the fellow Mugatu who died earlier, attacks Kirk and Nona. But Kirk finally disintegrates the Mugatu with his phaser. And then Nona knocks out Kirk with a rock and takes his phaser. Nona then encounters a group of villagers and tells them that she has the weapons and the path to victory. They don't believe her. So they start to terribly assault her, which is awful. So Kirk, Bones, and Tyree find her. The villagers think it's a trap and they stab and kill her. Tyree then agrees that he wants more fire sticks to avenge his dead wife. More rifles. So Kirk tells Scotty to make a hundred rifles for them to use. End of episode. So, Steve, what did you think of this episode of Star Trek? Um, all right. So things I liked. Um, I don't know. I didn't like this episode that much. Honestly. <laughs> um, it was nice seeing Star Trek trying to do commentary on something very specific. Like this was very clearly like a Cold War. And Vietnam War kind of thing. Yeah. About us arming both sides. But the Vietnam War is effectively a part of the Cold War. Yeah, that's true. That, that's true. Um, you know, trying to arm up both sides and, and endorse a regime because it endorses you. Right. Um, and, you know, but it's only fair to give weapons to both sides. Like even that, you know, all the, there was nothing veiled about that. And I found that very impressive because most of the time Star Trek's much more veiled. Right. There were some actual smart things being done. At one point, Kirk was cold and McCoy used his phaser to heat up a rock. (laughs) And it showed the lady what the phaser could do and move the plot along. It was like the perfect smart thing. I was like, oh, that was a good Star Trek moment. Good good, for you. A good plot point. Yeah. Yeah. Like something smart happened and it moved the plot. Good. (laughs) Things I didn't (laughs) like. Um. Man, I really wish they'd make up their goddamn minds about interfering with other, with like less advanced races. True. They, it's really hard to take it seriously anytime they bring it up. Like, it seems like something really nice they'd like to do. Well, <laughs> no. there is an important part of this episode where they say that if, if we find out that the Klingons have directly interfered, we can directly interfere. And, right. and that's important because it's like we have to help them equally to how the Klingons have interfered. So I, I kind of get that, that inter- interjection there. So they, they, um, they made that make sense. I liked how unhelpful bones was <laughs> in what way. So like they have future space magic medicine, right? Spock was shot by a gun. <laughs> mm-hmm. And McCoy walked away from, from stabilizing Spock saying, well, he'll live or die now, Jim. I don't know which. <laughs> Come on. You have space magic. Come on. <laughs> and I get that. Like, they like blaming it on the fact that he's a Vulcan. Like, they bring that up a lot. They even brought it up here. 
Well, they had the uh, the the, the Vulcan experts. They had the Vulcan expert there. Right, but then they had a Vulcan expert. So why was this even a fucking issue? Doctor Mbenga, who from like the Vulcan Wars or something too. Like he's seen trauma, and we're not. We don't feel good about Spock making it. Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> You're on the starship. <laughs> um, so that was tough. Unhelpful bones was unhelpful. Fair, fair, fair. Um, why do so many of these episodes feature women doing witchcraft? Because <laughs> <laughs> women in the sixties are witches. That's what we <laughs> women doing witchcraft. Um, there was a moment as soon as I heard the phrase "native costumes," I said to myself, "This is going to be a little bit racist." As soon as Kirk said, "Computer, we need native costumes," I went, "Ugh." Ugh. <laughs> it was. It could have been worse though. It was not that bad. Um, and I didn't. I could not, for the life of me, understand Nona's motivation. Yeah, like if we if we had known her people her, better, that would have been better because we didn't know her people yeah, at all. Yeah, and seeking to align with the most powerful ally, maybe. Sure. But at the end when she got attacked, I was like, what was she looking to gain out of this? Yeah, like we we need to more, know more, more about her people, basically. That would have been more yeah, important. We know that they're like mystical witches. And that's pretty much what we found out. Right. Um. Overall, a middling to low episode for me. Okay. Um. And I honestly can't even pinpoint why it just didn't do it in any of the categories for, for me, I, I actually put it to a very solid middle high episode because just the fact that there were, I didn't feel it dragged at any point. Um, it, it just kept going and was very propelled forward by plot and action and things that were happening, which there are other episodes where I feel are more important or more interesting. But this episode never felt like it was dragging. True. There's a lot of physical movement. Yeah. There, and there were things that they weren't physical movement for the sake of physical movement. They they are important to the plot. Like, I felt like it, this was structured well. Oh, yeah. We're, like, oh, he got attacked. Great. We have to get him to the village. Oh, what's his face is not the village. Someone go find what's his face and bring him. Here. Right. Oh, what's his face is coming. Great. They healed him at the village. Oh, they've got to go back to their ship. You know, like it's as if they had a, a good crafter of a of a of a screenplay, but not a interesting crafter of a screenplay right, right. He's so like, like this will work just do it he, he made it interesting the whole time i was entertained the whole time but i wasn't uh, it wasn't interesting yeah. so like i wasn't bored but i wasn't interested so if, that, if but the problem is a lot of, <laughs> of star trek episodes were like i am interested but i'm bored a lot of <laughs> star trek original series episodes like, that is, wow, this is a great mystery i hope they say something about it soon. right and that's the continual problem with the original series is that very interesting but kind of boring. This one was not boring, but not very interesting. If that makes sense. Yeah. But also Dr. Mbenga was great. Uh, and uh, I love the quote. Our weapons grew faster than our wisdom. I think that's very interesting and important right. for our culture in general. Uh, great writing on that line. So trivia. Uh, there's some good stuff for this because it's kind of a classic episode that's regarded. Uh so the Magatu was called the Gumato in the original script, but okay. DeForest Kelly, who plays Bones, kept mispronouncing it, so it was changed. The closing credits still named the creature as the Gumato. 
I thought it was funny. <laughs> he just couldn't say Gumato. Um, the stock footage of the White Rabbit's footprints from the Star Trek original series episode Shore Leave, which we've already covered, oh, yeah. was used for the Magatu print- prints of his oh, footprints. Yeah. All right. Um, the Star Trek universe has, known, has been known to tackle societal, political, environmental, and other types of issues throughout the history of the franchise. This one tackled the Vietnam War head-on, not only specifically pointing out the 20th century brush wars on the Asian continent, mm-hmm. but also as portraying the Federation and the Klingon Empire as superpowers, using an otherwise peaceful world as pawns in their struggle for power a direct allegory of the Cold War at the time between NATO and the Bread Bloc. So, yeah, it was fascinating. Uh, The Mugato was designed by Janos Prosaka, uh, who had created the Horta in the original series episode, The Devil in the Dark. Weird cave pancake. But he created that thing. It was the same suit that he used and he created for the white gorilla in the voyage to the bottom of the sea, Fatal Cargo, in 1967, and Garbuna, a cross between a gorilla and a baboon in Here's Lucy, Lucy Safari, in 1969. So he used that same suit three different times. Wow. Talk about getting your money's worth. He just added the spikes for this episode. Just saying. And all three episodes, he played the person in the suit. <laughs> That's Janos, how he kept it alive so long. Yes. Like, Got to be gentle in this thing. Janos Prasoka. Pras, pro, Janos Prahoska. <laughs> and the last thing, this is the only episode in season two to not have happy ending music. The only ep- it was this is one of the episodes I could arguably say did not have a happy ending. <laughs> not really. No, it's kind of fucked up. Yeah, so there you go. That is that episode. Uh, Steve, what are the Trek Connections, Muppet Connections episode? Oh, man. So this one's this one's actually pretty good. The other two are loose, but this one's great. Uh, Kirk, Kirk and Ahura's kiss later on, I believe, than we've watched, uh, raised a lot of hackles with concerns about outrage in the southern broadcast regions. NBC had been hit just a little while before with an incident where there was outrage. During a Pachula Clark special, where she put her arm on Heli, uh, her put her hand on Harry Belafonte's arm, suggesting romance, and there was outrage. Oh my god! Um, both Pachula Clark and Heli, Harry Belafonte are Muppet Show uh, special guests. Absolutely. So yeah, similar outrage, and the Pachula Clark special is what primed the pump for the fear surrounding the Kirk or her kiss. That's important. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Nancy Kovacs, who played Nona this week, uh, played the lead opposite of former Muppet Show guest Vincent Price in a movie called Diary of a Madman. Mm. So she was in the movie with Vincey. And she's and gorgeous, then, by the way. She's absolutely gorgeous. She, she, I'm going to go ahead and let me say she is the most attractive uh, Star Trek guest we've had. One of the, yes, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I'm going to put her at the top of the heat. Whew, all right. All right. That's, that, that should be <laughs> one of be our top 10 at the end. Yeah. Oh, God. No, let's stay away from that. Yeah, we shouldn't probably. Uh, Ned Romero, <laughs> who played Krell, the Klingon, in this episode, mm. uh, also, and this isn't really a Trek connect, uh, Muppet connection, uh, but just a cool fact, he went on and appeared in an episode of Star Trek, The Next Generation, Journey's End, mm-hmm. and then he went on to be in Voyager 
and played the role of Chakotay's grandfather. That's true. Yeah. We'll get to that in about seven years. Yeah. What do you have? <laughs> seven years. Something like that. We're pretty close. Five and a half or something. Yeah. Something like that. I keep saying seven years, but we've already been doing this for a year and a half. So <laughs> It's true. So we got five and a half years. Yeah, it's not a big deal. It's fine. It'll happen. It's good. It's going to happen. Uh, but those are all the track connections this week. Very nice. And so we have some similarities between these exact same episodes. They're basically the same show. I mean, come on. So Pachula Clark in the Muppet Show episode finds a fish in Ralph's piano. Yes. That is the cause for him missing notes when he's playing piano. So Kirk finds that the Klingons are involved in corrupting the planet Neural society, just like the fish, causing it to go to war. Wow. Yeah. Just corruption. Corruption. The fish is corrupting that piano. Uh, the Klingons corrupting that society. Uh, both feature obst- obtrusive, obtrusive species getting in the protagonist's way. Mickey Moose with Kermit and the Klingons with Kirk. <laughs> Very true. Exactly. Uh, the Neural planet was supposed to be a utopian society, just as the Muppets show was supposed to end with a beautiful glass fountain. But alas, oh. Neural was destroyed by war, and the Muppet Show was destroyed by a moose. By Mickey Moose. Yeah. Uh, both feature conflicts between parties that have no good reason to have firearms. <laughs> the Rooster Showdown and the Warring Tribes. <laughs> You're so right. <laughs> You're so right. <laughs> oh, God. What's that noise? Oh, God. Transporter malfunction. So that noise means, and that cough that Steven just produced, was that the transporter malfunction is happening, which means that one character from one episode is being transported to the other episode and vice versa. So what you got for us, Steve? Uh, This week, Trek to Muppets, I've got Nona coming over and replacing Petrula Clark specifically in The Boy from Ipanema because they're both wearing the same bell-bottom pants. <laughs> that is fair because Nona had some very bell bottom pants. Very bell bottom. Yeah. I have the moose could have gone over and been Tyree because a dumb guy who is screwing things up and not ever being who you need him to be. That is the moose and that is That's Tyree. Right. John Wayne the whole time. I don't know what you want, Pilgrim. Got a musket there. <laughs> uh, Mumps and Trek this week. I've got the chickens. Coming over and replacing the two warring clans. <laughs> Facing off and posturing and then shooting at each other wildly and missing. That works so well. Uh, I have Petula Clark transport over to be Nona. She'd be good at convincing the monsters and humans, the, uh, you know, Magatus and the humans alike to do what she needs them to do. If she could convince a moose, she convince a Mugatu. She could. That's right. They yeah. both have horns. Exactly. So that brings us to the end of episode 48 of the Muppet Trek podcast. Join us next time as we step into season three of the Muppet show. And as an update, we are going to be moving away from the British release order, which made sense at one point. But now that it's all available on Disney plus, we are going to be moving over to the production order as it is displayed on Disney plus. So you guys can follow along more easily at home. And that means we'll be moving on to Chris Christopherson and Rita Coolidge as special guests. Which makes so much sense. And we're going to the original series episode, Return of Tomorrow. So from the lovers, the dreamers, and us. Live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Muppet Trek Podcast. 
Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds.